Well, good afternoon and welcome to Hour 2 on this glorious day for talk radio. Weather-wise, no great heck, but, uh, you know, we sally forth. As a matter of fact, looking forward to our panel. Topics worthy of discussion upcoming. Our friend John Carmichael, Alyssa Freeman, and Michael Diamond will be joining us shortly. But, you know, I talk about a great day for talk radio. The Prime Minister was trying to hive off my uh, little aphorism here yesterday, calling it a good day for Canada insofar as this deal that we cobbled together with the Mexicans and the Americans, the USMCA. Just replaced NAFTA, whatever you want to call it. Uh, was it, in fact, a good day for Canada? I guess not. If you listen to the dairy lobby, I'm hearing a lot of <laughs> weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But let's just put it all into perspective and proper context. Joining me on the line right now, Dean Allison is the Shadow Minister for International Trade. Mr. Allison, good to have you on the Oakley Show. Good afternoon. Yeah, good to be back. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, so uh, a good day for Canada. How do you assess it? Well, you know, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the government said they would not sign a bad deal. It was better to sign no deal. I wouldn't say this is a good deal uh, by any stretch. I mean, was it something that uh, we invariably had to do or we had to had to figure out? Maybe, but I guess, you know, the challenge is I don't believe there's anything we got out of the deal. The U.S. certainly got a number of things, and at the end of the day, we're going to have to live with this giant next to our border here. But I think that uh, to call it a good deal would be no. I don't think it's a good deal at all, uh, but something that uh, we, we needed to do. All right. It wasn't catastrophic insofar as, you know, tariffs being maintained on autos, for example, which would have decimated our economy in Ontario. But So where then specifically would you cite that this deal was lacking for Canada's interests? Sure. And I, I would say, you know, you mentioned earlier about dairy. That's obviously an issue. I mean, the fact that pharmaceuticals will go up in price because the, the intellectual property is going to go from 8 to 10 years is going to cost us all from that. But, I mean, I think the biggest concern I have is even though there wasn't an auto tariff of 25%, as you mentioned, would have been catastrophic for us in, in Canada and, and in particular southwestern Ontario and Ontario in general, they've still left the tariff on steel and aluminum. And I think that that has been one of the challenges because if we look at what's going on with our steel and aluminum Anyone that uses these products in their companies, this is sort of a death by a thousand cuts. Prices have gone up. You know, I've seen some components north of Toronto where they were 100% more. I realize that's not for every component piece. But as you start looking at the prices going up, it makes it more more difficult for our manufacturers to compete with the states if they don't have to pay that 25% tariff. And so I think that the challenge was, and when people were talking to me this summer, about the issues around tariffs are saying, sign an NAFTA deal. We need a NAFTA deal because we need certainty. Well, if we sign a NAFTA deal and call it the USMCA, as you mentioned, but there's no more certainty for those individuals, those companies that deal with steel and aluminum tariffs. And I think that is a huge issue. That is a huge issue for our manufacturing sector. And the fact remains, although we have nothing in writing, People are wondering how long are we going to have these tariffs on for, and hopefully they thought by signing the deal that would re- resolve this issue. Well, what do you see as the prospects for Trump bending on this? Uh, some are saying he may do that, but uh, how do you see it? I guess the challenge is, is that uh, we've heard some some rumblings, and we certainly heard you know indications from the from their, our chief negotiators that this would he'd be prepared to look at taking these off when the deal came into implementation. Well, you know, we could still be more than a year away, and we know what's happening in a year. We have another election. So these election cycles break these things up. Guys were telling us and gals this summer we needed relief now, and they're not getting the relief. And so the challenge will be how long can these companies hold on 
and I don't. I think a year is too long, uh, given this issue. We need relief from steel and aluminum tariffs right away. Yeah, and yet the deal has to be ratified by Congress. And if there are interests in Congress, of course, cross-border, you know, shipments of auto parts and so on and so forth, where the tariffs would be applied, uh, that would hurt them on their side of the border. Uh, is it possible that that would be uh, where President Trump uh, would lend a sympathetic ear? Yeah, I think that, you know, we've, we've certainly heard that in talking to businesses across the borders that, you know, the overall rise in the price of steel uh, has caused issues everywhere in terms of increase in price. You know, and I still talk to uh, a manufacturer from southwestern Ontario, and they said, listen, we're buying our parts and steel is being tariffed or aluminum is causing our prices to go up. We go back to those of the states that are buying it. They say, well, we don't think we should have to pay that. We, you know, we agreed to a price. We didn't agree to a tariff price. And so the challenge remains is that at the end of the day, can that local company in the U.S. find a supplier that could do the same thing cheaper? If they can, therein lies the issue. And I think that if we looked at Mr. Trump's news conference the other day, one of the things he did says, you know, we want to bring more business to the U.S., which has been his, his deal, has been a story all along. And so our challenge still remains, will some of those businesses that are in Canada end up in the U.S.? Or will some of the suppliers that we supply right now start looking for companies in the U.S. to supply? So these, these are all things that I think a year is an awful long time. Uh, when we talk to companies this summer, they're saying three or four months was about all they could handle. My concern is how long it takes to get this deal ratified. And uh, you did mention that, you know, possibly he would look at lifting those when the deal is finally implemented. But my concern now is, is how do we get that deal ratified as quickly as possible? Right. And of course, uh, your concern is a valid one because a lot of people see that Trump is building this Fortress America on, uh, I guess, protectionist tariffs. And uh, therein lies a dilemma, certainly for uh, our producers here on this side of the border. Dean Allison is with us, Shadow Minister for International Trade. I've got to ask you about uh, the dairy farmers. I cited them at the outset, you know, with a 3.8% penetration for from the American producers, uh, there's talk of compensation, and it could be in the billions. I guess the last time uh, there was an agreement uh, offshore, it was, was uh, European Union, uh, the Harper government, didn't they give billions of dollars, like $4.3 billion to the dairy farmers at that time in co- by way of compensation? So what are you anticipating this time around? Yeah, and that's uh, that's something that hasn't been very clear. I think when we looked at the CETA deal, we had the dairy farmers in the room, and we talked about that. They were sort of with us lockstep all the way. Uh, and so now that we have CPTPP, that's we're moving through the House, and we've got this new uh, NAFTA 2.0, if you will, they're wondering what exactly that's going to look like. So I would guess probably definitely expect some type of compensation. I think the minister even talked about that in the House today. But in terms of what that looks like, how much, and what type of period that would be paid out over, we have no idea. What, what does that mean exactly, 3.8% penetration, where they can access our market, 3.8%? And I know uh, there are all kinds of arcane levels of milk products and so on and so forth, uh, some of which have been discontinued, like level 6 and 7, but doesn't mean anything to, you know, me or anybody else, I guess, except the dairy farmer. I'm going to keep asking the same question. What is this class seven? No, um, no. I think that's you know. We, we, for example, we look at the class seven, which uh, had to do with uh, de- de- um, with proteins and and now some of these things which go into making cheese and some of these other things. So I think it's 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 levels around looking at what they'll be able to sell into our market without us having those high tariffs of around 300 percent or 270 percent. 
Well, does it also mean, uh, you know, because they have different health standards, environmental standards, all the uh, things that, you know, might be additives and, you know, uh, hormones in uh, poultry, for example, do we have any kind of, uh, what would we call it, a filter on that or some kind of way of uh, policing that? Well, I know that uh, one of the things that we, we look at as well is I, I, that definitely when you go into the stores, you're seeing more of the hormone-free and things like that. And I, as I understand in the in the market, like at least one in five uh, cows are you know are on hormones or maybe even more. And so that'll be something that we need to look at as well for sure. Are you dismayed that uh, there were no progressive initiatives that were included in the final track? For example, you know. Uh gender parity and all the rest of those other things that were being sold early on by Christian Freeland? Well, I guess it, goes, it just goes to show you that, the, that we spent a lot of wasted time on things that the U.S. had no interest in, and so we were kind of tone deaf when we started the whole negotiation, which goes back to what we said before, was that I think a different tone could have been set on the onset uh, to, to talk about the things that are very important to us versus uh, uh, and to them, because, you know, you're doing a deal. It revolves around trade. You've got to take both countries into consideration. Finally, you know, uh, it seems like this is an ominous note, but maybe people are uh, not looking long-term. Donald Trump may have boxed us in, for example, when it comes to future in- investment in the auto sector. Uh, the quota right now is, you know, a fairly generous one, 2.6 million units with a 40%, I guess, uh, upside that we could expand to. But some people are saying, you know, why would anybody invest in building new plants here when there's a limit, a hard cap set on these numbers? Uh, how do you see it? Well, I see it the same way. I mean, uh, it probably wouldn't be an issue for the next plant or two, uh, depending on what was going on. But, you know, I've, I visited the Chrysler facility in Windsor, and I think they're somewhere between uh, around 365,000 cars, of which 95% go to the States. And so that definitely puts upward pressure on where we're at. You know, and if you talk to some people who say, well, we'll never hit that limit. But at the end of the day, when we're trying to attract investment, all those things matter. And while today it doesn't appear like it's an issue, I'm always a, a concerned about the unintended consequences as we move forward in the future. You know, if we have some investment from not maybe in the big three, but maybe some uh, a Japanese firm or whoever, we could come up against that limit in a way. But it does limit our ability in the future to sell cars to them for sure. Well, how about this limitation uh no out-of-market trade deals without their say so or their vetting i mean uh has we have we been boxed in on that as well well i think definitely and i you know i know that uh china has been someone that this government has been talking to with over 1.5 billion it's somebody that we need to have conversations with i don't think that by any stretch that we should be saying you guys can have whatever you want we share some of the concerns of the u.s but this is almost acts on our sovereignty i mean we have a right to negotiate deals we have a right to do these things and they made it very clear if we don't uh, like your non-market economy players that you're talking to we have the right to withdraw so that's a definitely a shot across the bow in terms of dealing with this uh, new nafta deal number one and number two uh, you know at some point in time there is a huge market for our, our goods and services in agriculture in particular we should have the ability to have a conversation with them about how we can move some of those things over it may not be comprehensive agreement you know we talk about uh, environment and labor and all these things but you know it's such a huge market over at over a one and a half billion people it's a market we can't ignore well potential red flags and i appreciate you coming on and putting this all into perspective as much as we can understand it in the early go anyway thanks so much mr allison thank you so much you have a great afternoon and you dean allison is a shadow minister for international trade and uh that's a deal that of course continues to uh 
I guess, be de- deconstructed or unpacked, and uh, we'll do it with our panel in part two, but there are many other topics worthy of discussion up next here on The Oakley Show. Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.